0: Good morning, everyone. I'm Steve Riley, lead pastor here at Living Waters Church. It is a privilege to serve you in this capacity, and it was a privilege being here yesterday. Uh, the Father's Love Ministry and, and team was here with their, uh, particularly the, the girls, and the uh, dance recital. And they have partnered with the ministry called Elevate, based out of Louisville, that has several outreach locations around the Louisville area. And Father's Father's Love is one of them, where they, uh, through mostly uh, worship songs or other good, uh, uh, solid songs, have these uh, just worshipful type dances and ballet. Little girls do little ballet. And it was so touching and powerful. One reason is not only the content of the music and the, uh, the, 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 the quality of their training, but also, uh, in the beauty of the testimonies. So, uh, off and on, they would have a young lady share a testimony. And one of them was, uh, a young lady from Ethiopia who, um, was an orphan. Her and her brother was an orphan and grew up Muslim, and her dad died, found themselves in an orphanage and adopted by a Christian family. And and uh, she was already a teenager by then and and told the, the American mother, you're a Christian, but I'm a Muslim. And that's the way it's going to stay. Well, God got uh, a hold of this young lady's heart through worship music, through dance, and saw uh, what the God of G, the, the God of the Bible is versus her Muslim God, and she became a believer. And uh, it, just a powerful testimony yesterday it was. So again, it was just a privilege to be here and, and to see Father's Love Ministry being so effective. And this is, that testimony was a gal, young lady out of Louisville. Uh, and, uh, but just to see the, the partnership with Elevate uh, Dance ministry was is, is, is so uplifting. So, we're in a series on the Sermon on the Mount. And it's three chapters long. It's all in the red, if you've got a red-letter edition. And Jesus has given us a handbook for the blessed life. Now, normally, when you get a handbook at work and you're getting orientation and they throw this, this uh, pamphlet, of, you know... Uh, produced there at the company booklet you 're like, you know okay i 'll get to it sometime and you put it in a drawer and it sits there until some crisis or emergency happens, and you pull it out and you look at it, try to find it through the table of contents and and we often just do not take seriously the handbooks we get at work. What I want to tell you this three chapter message, and we 're in Matthew chapter six, the second chapter today, is a teaching, a handbook from a perfect God who perfectly loves you and is giving a succinct uh, uh, lessons for life in these three chapters. If there's three chapters that we need to know, it's these three chapters, folks. What's another unique aspect about these three chapters is that particularly in five and chapter 5 and 6, Jesus used lists. Where long lists is not really good uh, for preaching because we lose you after, you know, point three, and so, you know, it's kind of hard to handle. So I'm asking you to be attentive as a student of the Word and say, I don't care how long the list is, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow it, I'm going to dig into it. And our first list was the Beatitudes, the, the eight Beatitudes where God, Jesus, reveals Eight ways to be blessed and to receive promises with that. Then in the next chapter, uh, or going on in the chapter in uh, into chapter 5, uh, into 6, late, later in chapter 5, he gives six principles for relationships. And today, he's going to give us four ways that to practice our righteousness. So I want us to open up in prayer, ask God for help, to listen to him, and turn to Matthew chapter 6 as well. Father, we're asking that this inspired Scripture that came out of your mouth on this uh, windy hill outside the Sea of Galilee to perhaps thousands of people and now repeated for generations and generations, we ask that it takes effect in our lives, that it produces fruit, that these three chapters will not be on deaf ears, not be on dull hearts, Lord God? but our hearts will be open and, and, and willing, our ears will be uh, listening and attentive and will receive and ready to obey your word in our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> In Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, Jesus says, Beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. So he's going to now go into four ways to practice your righteousness. Spiritual practices or kingdom activities that he wants us to have in our life and do them right and do them well, like he would, he would instruct us. Number one of these four practices or spiritual practices is giving. Now, giving to the poor particularly and those who are hurting, those who are needy in whatever way that they are broken and hurting. And in Jewish tradition, this was called alms. And there was an expectation, and there was ways to give alms, and we'll look at some of that. And, and, and so that's what he's talking about here is giving, particularly helping the hurting people. Number two is prayer. In the Jewish uh, Judaism and Judas tradition, prayer was well-developed. In fact, they were instructed to pray three times a day, and they had certain prayers to pray. Number three, enthroned in this list is forgiveness, forgiving others a repeated theme of Jesus' teaching, and he throws it in here for another repetition. Then number four is fasting. Again, fasting another way that that audience, Jewish audience, would have known much about and heard about that they were supposed to do this and do it that way, and we'll mention more of that later. But this is a message to Jewish hearers where in the previous chapter... On the Sermon on the Mount, as we discussed a couple sessions ago, Jesus said, your righteousness must surpass your religious leaders. They must surpass them the scribes and the Pharisees, in order for you to enter the kingdom of God. So he's saying, listen, the way you've been taught all your life and traditions have been passed down, there's something fundamentally wrong with that way, and I am repeating you over and over again, you've got to surpass it. And what he does, he doesn't go into all the details of how to do it, but he said, we've got to go deeper, we've got to go inside, in the inner man, into the heart. And that is where you'll surpass the, your religious leaders. This list today in this 18 verses that we'll read over today, he's basically teaching us how not to be a hypocrite. That's his uh, repeated theme. In fact, this word hypocrite over these next few verses is repeated three times. Other phrases that are repeated uh, in, are as well. Uh, five times, so that you will not be noticed or seen by men. So five times he says, this isn't about being seen by men. Six times he says, you ought to do this before our Father in secret. Repeated six times. It's between you and the Father. It's not about what other men are seeing. And he says six times, he uses the word reward. Now, these are different rewards. Either a reward that you get right then because you did it before men. They saw it and hey, what a great guy that Stephen Riley is. Hey, what a good pastor. Well, if I was motivated that way, I got my reward. But Jesus said, if you did it unto me, then I've got rewards for you. And those rewards are not, they're, they're not spelled out what they are. I believe there's rewards just in your inner man and, and fulfillment and contentment and peace, things that you've longed for your whole life. I think that there's rewards and relationships on this earth and there are rewards in heaven. There's rewards all kind of dimensions and in every angle and direction. And this is how God likes to motivate us. He likes to let us know If you don't see it in this life, you're going to see abundant, you'll see awards both in this life and that life, but we don't get to control those rewards. Lord, I'll do this if you do this for me. See, that's a bargain, that's a deal, isn't it? I'll go on the secret place, if you do this for me, then I'll do the, no, listen, it's a good father who's going to give you good gifts and good rewards in his timing, his way, both in this life and the in eternity. So the father seeks to motivate us with rewards. We often think, well, you know, that's, I, sh- I should be more pure than that. I shouldn't want to do anything for words. I should just do it for love. And that's good. But he's letting us know that when we do it out of right mode, if we do it obedient to him, and in that secret place, he sees it, and he will reward us. And let that encourage you. Let that help you be resilient. Let that endurance uh, be strengthened in your character because he has rewards for you. When we're talking about uh, hypocrisy, one of the obvious uh, just ways to look at hypocrisy is that you cannot treat people like garbage and worship God at the same time. You've heard it said, um, wow, you know, I just, you know, when I'm out, you know, uh, talking to people in the community and uh, being a light and I'm offering prayer and end up talking about the Lord or and so many times the conversation quickly goes about church. I didn't ask about church. I didn't ask where they attended. I didn't ask if they go to church. Because I want to keep it focused on the Savior. The one who can save. The perfect one who can, who can meet them where they're at. Not, you have to go to church this Sunday. But they'll often, it's repeated, you've heard it too. Well, I don't go to church anymore. I'm not going to step foot in church again. Because there's a bunch of hypocrites in church. And the sad thing is, it's true. And if we had time, if we had sat down with them, it would have been very painful what they witnessed in their experience. This is really important, particularly for children. Hypocrisy, where you say one thing and do another, it's really confusing for children. They want to emulate their mom and dad. They're built, they're created to look up to mom and dad, up to their teachers and and church and school and their coaches and the community. They're geared to to admire them, to look up to them and to learn from them and watch and learn and pick up from all their senses, uh, what's happening and the attitudes and the actions and the follow. They take it all in, even though they may not cognitively uh, figure it all out, but they take it all in. And it's confusing for children if uh, there's a pastor or a Sunday school teacher, a, a deacon or at church, and they live one way at home in a totally different way at church on Sundays. It's confusing. It's like, okay, I'm not sure what this means. I thought I heard that we were in the same message and heard the same Bible lesson taught in church, and yet this is what they're doing at home. I guess, I guess that's not, it's not that we have to do it, it's just you have to know about I mean, it's just confusing. We can't fool our children, folks. We, they live with us. They, we impart to them uh, how uh, our attitudes and, and our motivations, they're imparted into the home. And again, that's why it's so important. And Jesus said uh, in this theme through all these three chapters is external righteous deeds come from the internal source of Christ's righteousness. This is an underlying uh, theme and thesis through this whole Sermon on the Mount. Yes, external righteous deeds are good. The external, you want to work on that, but it comes from an internal source. And If you've received the blood of Christ because you've humbled yourself and said, God, I need you. I can't live on my own. I can't live right. I can't live the way I want to. God, I need help. And you cry out to the Lord Jesus and turn from your sin and selfish ways and turn to Jesus. Say, come into my heart. Cleanse me of all my righteousness. Then his righteousness covers us and cleanses us. And now these three chapters can make sense. They can be they can be real goals for us. They can be uh, 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 hopes and dreams and expectations for us to obey and follow. So let's dig into this list of four righteous activities, spiritual uh, deeds, practices. In Matthew chapter 6, verses 2 through 4, Jesus says, So when you give to the poor, do not sound a trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that they may be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But when you give to the poor, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving will be in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. This allusion to sounding trumpets, scholars believe, and I've seen illustrations of this uh, uh, in, in Bible dictionaries and, and commentaries and so forth. But these offering boxes uh, in the synagogue in the days, times of Jesus, had like this funnel uh, for the coins to go in, and it looked like a trumpet, you know, like a long tube. That would go into this box. And it was known that these religious leaders would take their offering, their alms to the poor, break it down in more coins, smaller coins, go over to the box in this trumpet tube, looking tube type thing, put the coins in, and the more coins, the louder it jingled on down the tube into the box. And so people hearing would go, wow, they just gave a lot. Listen to all that ringling dingling and all those coins going down there. We at our church here at Living Waters, um, we have a practice where we don't, um, uh, as pastors, we don't go look at the uh, uh, financial giving and and we people just can't go in and go look at the giving record of your of the families here we do have a a a standard for our leaders our elders deacons who are the board members who make decisions about the finances and budget and those staff who who lead budget items and spend money we need to lead spiritually in our generosity and giving into the ministries of the church so So your giving is given to the Lord. I don't find out if you gave last week, okay? So we encourage you to give unto the Lord. It's between you and God. Let's read on. He says more about this, and let's go in as far as uh, the next spiritual practice. So giving is the first one here. Uh, Let's start at verse 5. When you pray, you are not, like, uh, you're not to be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and on the street corners, so they may be seen by men. Truly, I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you pray, go into your inner room, close your door, and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. If you've been to Israel or perhaps on an airplane Uh, on that long flight from the East Coast over the Atlantic Ocean uh, to uh, Tel Aviv, you'll often see religious leaders at prayer times, because you're on a plane together for however many hours, maybe 10 hours or so, and you pass one or two prayer times that they're supposed to be praying. And a posture for prayer is standing. So they'll get up from their seat, and it could be in the middle of the night, and people may be trying to sleep, and the lights are low, and their airplane uh, uh, you know, chamber there with all these rows of seats going back and forth. And, but they'll get their phylacteries out and start wrapping their arms and, and put the phylacteries in this. These have little pieces of Scripture in them of, of the Torah and, in a box, and they strap them onto their head and to their arms, and they'll get their prayer shawl out cover their head and then and then they start praying and they're trying to be kind of quiet but they're kind of doing this under their breath and 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 they're kind of blocking the eyeways to the restrooms, You're trying to go to the restroom, and you have to kind of dodge these guys. And and then it's getting close to landing time, but they're in the middle of prayers. They haven't finished their prayers, and so the flight attendants will come by and say, hey, you need to, you know, in Hebrew, and they get a little argument, you know, and then, you know, some go to their seats and some don't, and then the flight attendant comes back, hey, that's I told you, you know, you know and they argue some more, and then finally he gets everybody to sit down. He has to battle, them and I guess that's, that's part of it. Hey, if I've really Fight the fighting, tenant. I'm I'm really being impressive to the others, that I'm really spiritual. I'm so dedicated. I don't know. I'm just watching it and are sure exactly what they're saying. I'm trying to figure this out. But there is a play, a private place of prayer that God wants us to establish in our life. It's good, it's a, it's a helpful habit to have that room and that certain chair uh, that you like to sit in or, or that certain room where it's a little bit more quiet where you can, uh, in a sense, have a sense of getting away. Charles and John Wesley's mother, I think he, they had, she had like 12 kids or something. It was a big number like that. And uh, this is back in old English days when uh, and, and she was just a powerful Christian mom. And uh, you can imagine, you know, a bunch of little kids running around in a one-room house. And she would take her her apron, sit, sit in a chair, and she'd pull out the out one and just cover her head like this and pray underneath her apron. And so they heard her prayers and all the scriptures she was reading. And but that's she had to she couldn't leave the kids. She couldn't didn't have a separate room. And so she created space in her heart through just covering her head. This isn't a statement against group prayer, like open uh, open the wells this Friday night, or God is, uh, you know, leading myself and a few other pastors to really gather pastors and churches together to pray in our community once a month, and uh, we're starting to do that, and we're seeing some momentum. But this is something that we have to, as pastors, have to check our heart. Why am I doing this? Was, is this a, an instruction of the Lord? Is this God? Because I don't want to do this to try to gain popularity with the other pastors or something. I like it when other people pray. I like to release other people in prayer. If you've, if you've seen a pastor operate and they're in a, someone's house, Uh, and it's time to bless the meal and invited you over, what usually happens? Pastor, could you say the blessing? And I really don't want to say the blessing because I do that in my house. I'm at your house. You're the head. You're the covering over your house. I'm there as your guest. I'm underneath your authority, and I want you to say the blessing. but I'm not opposed to do that, and I usually smile and say, okay, or I might challenge that father a little bit and say, how about you do it this time, or whatever happens at the time, but I do like to leave a blessing on those, you know, on on such hospitality. So find an inner room. What does that represent in your heart and life? Is it in the car, uh, driving to work? Is it Uh, young moms with little kids. This is really challenging. But there's a spiritual uh, inner room, a prayer closet that God has designed for you. You know, there's a lot of uh, quotes out there and t-shirts and bump stickers about hypocrisy because it really does bother everybody even if even if you're not a christian and it's it's not about hypocrisy and spiritual matters but just in in uh, family matters and leadership and in integrity and honesty and relationships no one appreciates hypocrisy i know i had a t-shirt in the 90s and and it said you know uh, uh if, if you can't walk the walk don't talk to talk one for you. It must not content us to take our bodies to church if we leave our hearts at home. Sunday morning is the most uh, distracting, difficult, um, demonic, attacked morning of all seven days. You're more tired on Sunday morning. You are more weary on Sunday morning. Uh, The bathroom, uh, sharing the bathroom fights are louder and more intense on Sunday morning. Uh, The breakfast gets burned or doesn't get cooked at all. Or whatever doesn't go right on Sunday morning. And all of those things are trying to keep us from entering into a place of sincere pursuit of God as we... Come together and sincere, uh, loving one another, serving one another, and 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 uh, demonstrating hospitality. It's to distract us and to get us focused on a, on our on our life's problems. And so we need that extra grace. We need that extra resilience. So let's keep looking at here what he says about prayer. He keeps talking about prayer some more. Verse uh, 7 and 8. And when you're praying, do not use meaningless repetition as the Gentiles do, for they suppose that they will be heard for their many words. So do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. So the length of prayer doesn't determine... How effective it is. The length of the prayer doesn't show that, hey, you're really spiritual. God heard that one because you've included three scripture references. (laughs) and, and, And they weren't really common ones. Amazing. No, the length of the prayer does not measure your sincerity and your hope and your faith and trust in God. Several years ago, one of our favorite men's retreat speakers is Steve Pearson. we've had him a couple times, and Frank Fed uh, you know, organized these December retreats and one of the, the weekends he basically said we're going to teach we're going to teach on prayer, and we're going to look at short prayers in the Bible and a lot of uh, Jesus' prayers are short. be healed." and we looked at these short prayers and how that can release faith, hope and trust. And God. Another quote about hypocrisy: Don't let your lips and your lives preach two different messages. Let's keep looking at the passage here. He goes more into uh, into prayer here, and he starts talking about. Um, how to pray? He's showing the disciples how to pray. Several years ago, I did a series on this. Most many people call it the Lord's prayer, but if you say, "Well, it's really not Jesus praying to the Father," he's saying, "Hey, this is how you pray. So it's our prayer. It's it's the followers' prayer, the disciples' prayer." And this is important to him because if you remember the story, when he comes uh, later in the the book of Matthew. Uh, and when this last time he's in uh, Jerusalem in the temple before he's betrayed and he cleans out the temple, he, he takes the coin changers who are robbing people and he throws them down and, and these exorbitant prices ripping people off and he chases the animals out, he says, in uh, Matthew 21, verse 13, he says, He said to them, It is written, My house shall be called a house of prayer, but you are make it a, a robber's den. And Scripture teaches us that when we have Jesus in us, we become a house of prayer. We become a dwelling place for Jesus to live by a spirit that we get to pray 24-7 at any time, and it's not dependent on a building. And this outline of prayer, these, these dimensions of six dimensions of prayer, another list here of six, are ones that need to be in your devotional life, not necessarily every morning, every day, in exact order, whatever, but Jesus is saying this is the Father's priorities for you. So for me, and even though, again, common it's called the Lord's Prayer, and that's what people usually know what we're talking about, but I like to call it the Disciples' Prayer or Papa's Prayer. And I like Papa's Prayer because it starts with our Father who are in heaven. And I lived in Philadelphia, uh, as our family did, for uh, <clears throat> six years, and during those, excuse me, seven years, and I was around um, uh, Catholics a lot, and I was uh, a chaplain in a healthcare community uh, retirement center, and they had priests that I worked along staff with, and they called this the Al the father. And, and if you grew up in a denominational church, maybe every Sunday like I did, you quoted the the Lord's Prayer, uh, every Sunday. And it comes easily to you because you did it as a kid. But it's not about a repetition. It's about a these priorities of your prayer life that need to be there. And I'm just going to hit them real quick at the back table from uh, the series I did a few years ago on uh, God Make Me a House of Prayer. I had this little prayer card broken down in the six categories. I keep this in my devotional, use it often to help me uh, flow through a prayer time. So let's get this prayer. Matthew 6, verse 9, pray then in this way. He's telling us to pray. Our Father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. So we turn to the Father, and Jesus often called him Abba, meaning uh, Daddy God in Hebrew. He said, hallowed, holy is your name. So the first uh, uh, category that he brings out is praise Papa. Look to him and how wonderful he is. Praise him. The next verse, let's just do this quickly. Matthew 6, verse 10. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So God is, Jesus is saying, hey, there's so many blessings in heaven and promises. May God's will be done On earth as in heaven, may his kingdom come on earth in your life today. So I like to summarize that as this declare Papa's promises in your life. He's got these promises he wants to give you. Declare them, speak them out. They're according, you see them in God's word. Verse 11 of Matthew 6 says, give us this day our daily bread. It's just a simple ask for Papa's provision each day. Notice it didn't say, give us this day our annual bread, all that we need for the year, all the, all the provisions we need for the year. No, he said, trust in God for today, and bread didn't last very long in those Israel times. They didn't get to freeze it and put in the freezer and pull it out a month later, could they? Trust God today for provisions and be at peace with that. Ask for Papa's provision. Matthew 6, verse 12. And forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Another clear speech. A teaching on forgiveness. A repeated theme in Christ's teaching. He does not go long without bringing it up. And he's saying, ask, oh God, forgive me of my sins as... To the same degree as we also forgive others, do you realize you're saying that when you've said this prayer? In that, in that wild, he put in the phrasing where he's saying, uh, "You know, I'm going to forgive you, but only as as you forgive the same degree in the amount and freely you forgive others." And we're praying that, yeah, God, just do that. Oh my goodness, this what? So Jesus is believes forgiveness is one of the key blessings of life let's go on to the next one here so what it's called is ask for papa's pardon ask for papa's pardon of you and pardon others matthew 6:13 and do not let us uh, lead us into temptation but deliver us from evil for yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever amen So together in this verse is, we trust in Papa's protection and his power. I usually don't do these these, uh, lining up in the letters. I was really impressed with that series I did several years ago because it all has the Ps in it. You can't forget it. So Papa's prayer, you've got praise. You've got promise. You've got provision. You've got pardon, protection, and power. These are key priorities of your prayer life. And they didn't be found in what you say and, and how you pray, either in devotionals or during the day. And at other. So the first spiritual practice was giving. The second one is prayer. And the third one is forgiveness. And again, it almost doesn't look like it fits, but Jesus says it fits. It's going to go right here, verse 14 and 15. For if you forgive others... For their transgression, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. I found when I, again, hear twice in this one verse, just apart from the other, Jesus is so direct and blunt about forgiveness. And you go, Stephen, you don't know what, you, what I've been through and the betrayal that I experienced, I've experienced. I have been uh, just used and I've been uh, uh, just abused in different ways. You don't know how. And you're right, I don't. I, I know it's worse than my life experience. I'm sure that it is. And yet I have hope that there's a grace, there's an empowerment when he says, this is going to set you free If you forgive and release them, I want you to work on this. I want you to even take a step toward forgiveness if it's not fully forgiven. Just don't ignore it. Don't run away from it. Please forgive because I have blessings for you. And if you don't, you're going to stay bound up in bitterness and hurt and pain. I can't get the healing to you like I want. Billy Graham had a quote, well, I'll get to that quote in a minute, just referring to a scripture that we've already had in Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 5, where he said, hey, even if you go to the synagogue and you're bringing your offering and you're doing all this spiritual vertical stuff with worship to God and you go, oh, I just remembered somebody has ought against me. He said, put that offering down that you're about to, you've just paid to to give this uh you know, whatever it was, a lamb or goat or something to the offering, listen, it was a lot of money and a sacrifice and put it down. Go to that person and reconcile with that person and then come back. It's a very spiritual thing to God. It's part of worship. It makes that worship more pure, more uh, more uh, real and effective to God. And, and and she says, go ahead and do that. So this forgiveness theme is one we want to follow. Now I want to go to um, a quote from Billy Graham. He said, I like the bumper sticker that reads, Christians aren't perfect, just forgiven. But that doesn't give us the license to live below God's standard. I like that quote too. Hallelujah. Someone brings up, oh, you know, there's so many hypocrites in the church and, you know, that might be something I'll say. I'll say, hey, hey, well, you know, nobody's perfect. No church is perfect. We're not perfect, but we are forgiven. It feels good. It's great to be forgiven. But that didn't give us a license to just keep on sinning. Instead, what it does, it frees us to sin less. It frees us to pursue God with more wholeheartedness. It, it releases us from that anger and that, and that uh, bitterness that was holding us back and turning our attitudes and griping and complaining all the time. Obedience and forgiveness releases more grace in our lives. All obedience does, there's rewards. Jesus saying there's reward for you. If you follow these spiritual practices, if you forgive, I have rewards for you in this life and the next. And we were in the last session in Matthew chapter 5. What is that standard that uh, Billy Graham refers to? Well, it's uh, yeah, well, you've heard it said, love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But uh, Matthew five forty four say, but I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. So his standard is you love your enemies. And you pray for those that you weren't going to pray for. You hadn't even thought about it. That's the standard of Christ. And by his grace, he's in us. He can transform us to, for us to follow these both behaviors and motivations that he creates for us. I'm going to go ahead and start in the last of this list, number four. Matthew chapter 6, verse starting at verse 16 through 18. Whenever you fast, and your translation might say, when you fast, do not put on a gloomy face as the hypocrites do, for they, for they neglect their appearance. So that they will be noticed by men when they are fasting. Truly I say to you, they have their reward in full. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face. So that your fasting will not be noticed by men, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. See, in that day, putting oil on your your hair and face—that was helped to keep dry skin away, and and and, your, and you know, and, and nurture your skin and so forth. Back in the day, and and the religious leader wouldn't do it, and so you could tell. Man, he's looking kind of rough. You know, he must be fasting. Man, he's looking really rough. He really must be fasting. And this can be challenging sometimes, and it's, it's it's you know, you don't have to be weird about it. You don't tell everybody you're fasting. You get some prayer support. You need some help with that. Absolutely tell those people that you're uh, fasting to, to encourage each other and help each other. But, uh, you know, you, you can't always hide it if you go out for a lunch appointment. It's going to be kind of hard, isn't it? Maybe you're fasting certain foods or whatever, and you can just do that and... But did you notice it says whenever you fast or when you fast? That it was a, an expected tradition in the Jewish uh, life, and they have like four days during the year that they expect the Jewish people to fast. It's from sunset to sunset the next day, it's like a 24-hour fast. But the rabbinical writings and over the centuries, rabbis wrote more, listen, we need to commemorate more uh, 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 days of sorrow and fasting, as fasting for them represents primarily repentance and humility. And so they would add days to it and of, of a, of a, a time in history where the Israel people were really uh, taken advantage of and hurt, And they developed 25 more days of fasting. And history says it was too many because nobody follows them. <laughs> Even though they got them written down somewhere. So I want to challenge you in that, that when you fast, folks, not, oh, that's, that's just for like pastoral staff types, right? <laughs> that's just for those really kind of, you know, intercessory prayer types that just can't get enough of it. That's just, well, you know, that's just for, no, no, he said when you fast he wants us to fast there's a blessing here in fasting for you there's a reward on earth and there's a reward in heaven as well we fast in so many ways actually you can fast people by just getting alone for a few hours with your bible you can fast noise by not having the radio on and TV going all the time and you fast noise There's a lot of ways we fast which is just basically voluntarily giving up something to help you focus on God. I want to challenge you to do that. If it's just, maybe it's a meal, a certain meal. Maybe it's a certain thing that you know is distracting to you on your, on your smartphone. Or it could be a TV series you just can't put down. Well, put it down for a day. Lord I want my mind to be stayed on you this day find ways to voluntary to give up something to focus on Christ and make it once a week make it once a month make it regular and as you go into a new year or new school year set aside several days uh, to pray into that new season of your life before you go back off to school or whatever and you're saying God speak to me I'm open reveal to me your heart before I enter this next semester this new job, this big decision coming up. Set yourself apart. Voluntary, voluntary. Take something away. When you take food away and nutrition away, you're saying, "I'm voluntary. I'm choosing to be weak physically because I'm going to rely on God's strength, His grace, to be resilient, to to be more attuned." And you voluntarily put something aside that might make you weaker but you are turning to the Lord in it I really believe that God is breaking hypocrisy over any of us any degree any level it's something that we all have to watch for temptation every personality some more than others but desire that to be to please man to, to get Accolades for man to be noticed, to be recognized, and so that, that fleshly temptation is going to be—you're going to hear it, you're going to feel it—and said, "Do yeah, do that because they're going to because because they're going to watch it, they're going to see, and and we—that's just normal for any of us. So recognize it, be quick to notice it. First John chapter one, I'm just going to verse eight and uh, eight and nine say if we say that we have no sin we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us that's right isn't that right and so let us be honest with us first let us go to that person first and say I'm sorry let us be humble and say wow I messed up there before the Lord before your spouse or your child it is impressive to a five-year-old, to a ten-year-old, a fifteen-year-old, a twenty-year-old, when mom or dad says, "I've been convicted that what I said, what I did, be it five years ago, be it uh, ten years ago, be it yesterday, be it five minutes ago, that that was not pleasing the Lord. That that was wrong. That was my attitude wasn't right. The way I said that wasn't good." Your confession before someone else, honest confession, breaks hypocrisy over you. And it opens trust, again, in that relationship and in that situation. So yes, if we say that we have no sin, we're deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. But take hope, because if we confess our sins, verse 9, He is faithful and righteous to forgive us. Of all our in all our, excuse me, I can't say the most important. Word. Cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all of our unrighteousness. That's his promise. That's his reward. Don't you want that reward? Don't you want that blessing from God on how to live a blessed life? I'm really asking the Holy Spirit to just work here to give people uh, uh, certain uh, ways to follow up with what God is leading you to do right now. I'm going to ask the altar ministry teams to go ahead and come forward and be available. I'm going to go ahead and say these, these just review statements as we seek God for a little bit longer in this worship time. Then I'll come up and bless you. But just to remind you again, it may not be all four of these, it may be more than this, it may just be one or two items that the Holy Spirit has just brought to your mind and your memory and say, this is what I want you to do. But number one, be satisfied with this secret place. Learn what that feels like. and, And one thing I like about it so much, I can get and listen to a worship song. There could be a lot of people around, but I can get in the secret place in worship in any time of day number 2 be motivated by anticipating the father's rewards know that that when you're struggling with endurance and struggling with perseverance oh but god has a reward plan for you don't give up keep persevering he wants you to be motivated like that number 3 humble yourself honestly confess your faults be it a little one be it a big one doesn't matter the size but just confess those and you'll find reward from there some of us in certain areas of my life and i was praying about one today oh god i need some help i need some help get me some help lord and if there's an area that you know you don't walk in integrity and, and and in freedom in well yeah yeah god said have a secret place between him and all but he's given us the body of christ and the wisdom the power of praying together in two or three uh you have mentors all around you don't be a loner spiritually get help don't live in this pattern of tripping up and end up looking or being hypocrite don't like that you don't have to get help jesus preached to thousands like he did on this sermon on the mount and his voice went like thunder around those hills and down the water and echoed in that and that uh, that that sloping area. But he also said twelve. And lived with twelve. So they and those relationships and one another be able to build each other up. He even had three that he went off by himself at certain monumental times, even a small group. Listen, get help folks. It's not unspiritual. It's not uh, embarrassing. It's what we all need and do the way God designed us. Let's just let this last worship song minister to our hearts. Let us stay open to the Lord and feel free to come up for prayer. For anything we have a prayer line available. Uh, for the next 30 minutes here on Sunday morning. We encourage you to, to be, to call that number. We want to pray for you. Let's seek God and then I'll send you off with a blessing.
1: Jesus is in. You.
0: that you are holy and we look to you as as ones that want to be more like you we honor you we recognize your holiness and these three chapters on the Sermon on the Mount are holy they're perfect Lord God you're perfect and Lord God we don't want to neglect them we don't want to forget them or ignore them so Lord God we yield ourselves to you and now I I pray a perfect blessing out of Numbers chapter 6. As our founding pastor often prayed, the Lord bless you and keep you, Living Waters family. The Lord make his face shine upon you and your on your marriage, your home, your children, your grandchildren. Uh, may the, the Lord be gracious unto you in all that you do, in your work, in your neighborhood, in your ministry. And the Lord lift up. His, we maybe lift up His countenance upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you His shalom, His peace, the peace that passes all understanding. Everything is it really ought to be nothing missing, nothing broken. May you put your full weight down and rest in the hammock of His smile of approval for you. For in Christ Jesus, you are approved. May you walk under the warmth of His presence and hear a voice behind you saying. This is the way. Walk in it. You are blessed in order to be a blessing. Have a great week. The Lord is with you, and He's working in you and through you. Love you guys.